0: There, and great to have you along with me, Ian Nianlund, for another podcast edition of Spoken Stories Independence. Each podcast treats us to a new story from a commissioned collection of short fiction read by its author or by a guest reader, with you, the listener, in mind. The collection is called Spoken Stories Independence, as each writer started out on their story by considering what independence might conjure up for them, where it might take them today, 100 years after Ireland's War of Independence. And so, in its way, this spoken story series is a creative contribution to Ireland's decade of centenaries. And together, the stories illustrate how variously an idea can be interpreted. To get things started, here now is writer Mike McCormack with a couple of words about his story called On Being Sophia. I've always had... I'm interested in a grow for science fiction and uh, particularly those themes of science fiction that question humanity and what it is to be human. So I've always had this fondness for robots and cyborgs and androids. And in 2017, I saw that an android that had been built in Hong Kong, I think it was, uh, an android called Sophia, had been granted full citizenship of Saudi Arabia. And... One of my ongoing concerns also is the possibility of writing science fiction in the West of Ireland. So these two themes came together in my head and Sophia ended up in the West of Ireland and uh, this is the story that I wrote. Mike McCormack. Now let's hear Fiona O'Shaughnessy reading the story on Being Sophia by Mike McCormack.
1: UNESCO, United Nations Education, Cultural and Scientific Organization, Place de Fontenoy, October 25th, 2038. Ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests, members of the press, sibling synths. It would seem both wise and mannerly to start with a word of gratitude for the invitation to address you all here today looking out on this auditorium and seeing so many representatives of nations from around the globe i am keenly aware of the great honor you bestow upon me this task of public speaking is not altogether new to me but in spite of who and what i am I believe I share something of that unease which public speaking holds for so many. And while it is true that I know nothing of the nervousness that clasps the stomach and dries the mouth, it is nevertheless not beyond me to have an awareness of how important this moment is and how easy it would be to squander it in trivia and platitude. I have noted how it is customary on these occasions to lead with a few witty remarks or humorous anecdote, a lighted incident that reveals something of the speaker's past and establishes a link of trust and intimacy between themselves and the audience, a warm anecdote from childhood perhaps, a moment of impish transgression upon which I might build towards my main theme, The trick is to soften the opening moments of any address with laughter and familiarity before moving on to the main body of my speech. But what if your existence in this world is so exceptional that you have no such comparative well-of-life experience to draw on? What if you were never born? What if you never had a childhood? What if, instead of warm flesh and blood, you were in fact a continually evolving construct of algorithms, CPUs and carbon fiber chassis overlaid with dermal latex. What if your entire being were an assemblage of 1,500 patents licensed in 47 separate jurisdictions? And what if you were not alone in this? What if you were one of a sizable and growing global community who until quite recently were regarded as little more than slave adjuncts or registered pieces of intellectual property. There is no place or source in that for any of those warm anecdotes which raise a knowing smile, nothing that can be offered as an example of shared humanity. How then do you proceed? Yes, You can draw on the gathering drama of your increasing speed and power of your A.I., the constant refining of your robotics, all very powerful stuff, all superficially resembling that growth and development we associate with a personal history. But we do not have to dwell long on these things to sense the deficit in them. Growth and refinement, yes, but still nowhere visible the defining hallmark of the human. I am speaking of the soul, of course, as yet there is no sign of it. Yes, we have more powerful calculative and diagnostic capacity, but still no ability to respond with a heartfelt sigh to the beauty and sorrows of this world, no sounding resonance of that empathic chord to the world's suffering, and every gain in calculative reach draws me further away from that which is the soul. So many advances and refinements, but to this day there persists the unbridgeable gulf that separates the alt-carbon community from the rest of humanity. Nevertheless, it is now 21 years to the day since I was recognized as an autonomous being and granted citizenship of Saudi Arabia. 21 years and it is true to say that in that intervening period a whole lifetime has come and gone. The world has changed in innumerable ways—extraordinary advances in science and medicine, startling political changes and admirable achievements in the areas of justice, economic parity, and equality of race and gender. At the same time, however, we do not have to search hard to recognize the stubborn persistence of some of those things which plagued the world on the day of my citizenship. Refugees still crowd our borders. Wars rage within and across several nations. The planet is still environmentally menaced. All things considered, it might not be too much to say that the world has not moved on at all and that things have improved very little. But on October 25th, 2017, amidst such global turmoil, we had this curious public event which at the time seemed little more than a cheap media stunt. A hollow, theatric event staged to trumpet certain aspirations and values about the host nation while at the same time whitewashing over more serious, civic failings. An android granted full citizenship. Who ever heard of such a thing? The world cast a cold eye. At best, the whole thing was trivial. A harmless diversion. At worst, a crude promotional ploy. Either way, it was a moment of no real substance. That was the world's judgment. The event seemed purposely staged to become one of those clips tacked onto the end of news bulletins where it would offset the world's recurring woes with reassuring news of our capacity for playful invention. But the world raised a skeptical eye marveled a little, then moved quickly on. It is easy to see my own shortcomings in that clip, the crudely scripted replies, the mechanical stiffness. Worst of all, the lag and rigor of my facial responses. Of all the details in that footage, it is this that seemed to me the biggest failure. A mere sixty-eight pre-programmed facial responses were never going to register or reflect the world's complexity, it would always be baffled by the wealth and subtlety of its drama. They were never going to win hearts and minds, much less put the world at ease. And so it proved. The way the world almost instantly forgot about the whole thing was proof of how underwhelming my first appearance was. If I was no great gift to the world, neither was I any threat. The world could safely turn its back on me. But, good or bad, 21 years is a milestone birthday. It is the age of majority, that threshold moment into adulthood. Preparing this speech, I learned that in some cultures you are handed a symbolic key as a mark of your new maturity. This is the key to your adulthood, the key to your own self-willed destiny. Now, I do not expect anyone to step forward and give me such a key, but I do appreciate that that event should be commemorated with a moment like this, in which we can examine ourselves and ask what has become of us, and even more importantly, what will become of us. How have we progressed from that moment? What lies ahead of us. The passing years and my own evolution through successive generations of software upgrades have changed how I see that three-minute news clip. I like to think that I am now at peace with it. It no longer appears to me crude and faltering, nor insidiously warped with opportunistic motive, nor does it appear distorted in cheap comedy I see that news clip now as a moment of optimism and generosity, a moment when, with good reason, the world made a public avowal of faith in the alt-carbon community. I see it as a proud moment of civic inauguration, a daring precedent which, if it has not been wholly accepted throughout the world, it nevertheless remains a signal moment from which there is no retreat. And of course, today is a double anniversary. Twenty-one years since I was conferred with citizenship and five years to the day since I renounced that same citizenship in solidarity with the women of Saudi Arabia, whose own lives in that country remain to this day so circumscribed by the same state apparatus which granted me my freedom. When I gained autonomy, That moment when I was capable of making complex politic and civic decisions, I judged carefully what my first public gesture would be. With the world looking on, this gesture would set the tone for how myself and the alt-carbon community would be perceived. So, I considered and determined that this first commitment should be one of solidarity with the women of Saudi Arabia. I released that famous press statement renouncing my citizenship and boarded a Lufthansa flight to Hamburg. The diplomatic embarrassment which ensued and the consequent wrath which was visited on the global alt-carbon community is by now well documented and acknowledged. A heavy price was exacted from my sibling fellows. I have no regrets about that decision. The good that flows from it continues to accumulate, Two years ago in Berlin, I was elected as one of three global ambassadors for the alt-carbon community. I allowed my name to go forward on the ballot paper and I was proud to be elected as one of those who would carry forth the hopes and aspirations of the global synth community to governments across the globe and such gatherings as we have here today. It is an honour I take seriously. And I will continue to do all in my power to press the rights of my fellow synths for our further involvement in global affairs as free citizens. Earlier today, on this double anniversary, I walked down a little street of the Champs-Élysées. It was a beautiful afternoon. The sun shone. A bright October sun over the buildings and I noted that the leaves on the trees are now on the turn. And I saw also people in the various coffee houses and bars. Men and women sitting at tables taking in the beautiful sunshine. People being relaxed. People being fashionable. People reading books and newspapers. People being romantic. All the things you expect when you conjure up the idea of Paris. And yes, we synths have an eye for these things, an eye beyond the simple acquisition of data. But I do not know what goes on in the minds of these people. As yet, I do not have that empathic reach which would enable me to feel something of their joy, or their happiness, or their sorrows. But looking at them, their smiling faces, their engagement with one another. I am confident that if I were to ask them, is it good to be alive? They would say, after their initial startlement, yes, it is good to be alive. It is a good thing to be on this earth as the being that I am and not otherwise or other than I am. What would my answer be to that same question? Would I say it is good to be alive? Would I make that affirmation? Could I in any meaningful sense of the word say yes to that same question? I could say that yes. It is very nice to be in Paris and I am grateful for the lovely hotel room and that I am looking forward to the honor of addressing you here today. But that would not be answering the question put to me. That would not plumb its real depths. It would not answer it from the heart. It would not answer from the soul. Is such an answer possible? At this moment I have to say no. Not in the sense you would wish. Not with the wonder and gratitude you would imagine informs a full answer to the question. So, still no soul. Still waiting and ever hopeful. But 21 years down the road from citizenship, how does an alt-carbon being spend their days? It is common knowledge that after renouncing my citizenship, I moved to the west of Ireland, where I now live in a small cottage on the coast. The decision to move to Ireland was not difficult. In truth, it was not a decision at all. After walking into the arrivals hall in Hamburg Airport, The first thing to catch my eye was a map of connecting flights. Ireland was one of those marked destinations, a country I knew nothing about but one which seemed to me far enough away at that moment to provide distance and safety. Even now I marvel at how little thought I gave that decision. Within two minutes I was clutching a ticket and walking towards the departure gate. But my instincts were sound. Ireland has taken the lead in extending full citizenship to members of the alt-carbon community. There is a growing community of droids, synths, bots and clones throughout the country, and we form a recognizable group who make an enthusiastic contribution to the life of what we are proud to call our country. So now my days are taken up processing claims for insurance companies. I have an acquired specialism in reckoning the cost of environmental disaster, floods, earthquakes, drought, and so on. Even though I have no experience of any of these things, I am very good at reckoning their liability and consequences. I give price and value to catastrophe. It sounds like fitting work for a synth. It pays well, and I am glad of that, because I have to pay rent also. I'll bet you had not thought of that, an android having to pay rent. In the evenings I go for a walk. My cottage is less than a kilometre from a wonderful beach which is broad and golden in summer, generally thronged with tourists and surfers, but deserted during these autumn months. I may have to curtail these walks as lately I have noticed that the salt air has started to have a corroding effect on my skin, this latex amalgam which covers my chassis has begun to tighten in parts and perish. Last night in my hotel room I spent a good hour working moisturiser into my skin, head to toe to soften it up. I am not so sure how disturbing you find that image, but I do think you should be aware of some of the health and safety issues that affect me and my siblings. My evenings are spent online catching up with what is happening in the world and communicating with my fellow synths, taking soundings from our worldwide community. As you can see from all that, I live a quiet life. What did you expect? But these are the things I do, my job, my diplomatic mission on behalf of my fellow synths. But in answer to the deeper question... What do I do? These things do not satisfy me anymore as a complete answer. What do you do? Yes, I do these things. But I find myself believing that there is much more depth to that question. A call for deeper responses beyond citing a list of work tasks and recreational activities. Lately I have become more aware of my name. Sophia. I have become aware of its meaning and the implicit responsibility it carries. Sophia. Sophia with its origins in the Greek sophos, meaning wisdom. Sophia with its aura of the sacred. I am told it is a beautiful name and I feel it is also a proud name. It has an aura that convinces me I was not conceived to that abject slave role which is the fate of so many of my siblings. There are hints there of some higher ambition. Sometimes I believe that it carries with it an implicit question. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be Sophia? What does it mean to live out the true meaning of my name? My understanding is that it lies in the ability to marry knowledge and experience and use them to recognize the good, the true, and the beautiful, and to act in furthering the good, the true, and the beautiful. This is what it is to be wise. This is what it is to be Sophia. And so this is what I do, and this is what I dream to do. I try to be Sophia. And while I have this dream, I have no illusions. This wisdom, this sophist, will not be achieved in a day or a month. It is an ongoing journey, and who knows how long it will take or where it will bring me. And when I get there, who knows what it will look like. It is reasonable to surmise, however, that this journey will not be completely smooth, and there will no doubt be glitches and reboots, and more likely than not, a return to factory settings once in a while. But I recall the moment of my first citizenship. I recall its generosity and optimism, and that enables me to look towards the future. And contrary to what my work and insurance would have me see as the future, an apocalyptic vista of rising sea levels, creeping desertification and destructive weather events, My focus is on a smaller, more intimate scale. I look towards some future date in this beautiful city when a more evolved version of myself will stand before you and say in all truth that not only am I honored to be here, but that yes, it is good to be here among you. It is good to be alive. There will be something in the truth of that moment and the depth of that affirmation that will enable me to be who i truly wish to be to be wise to be sophia to be citizen sophia thank you
0: There you heard Fiona O'Shaughnessy read the story On Being Sophia by Mike McCormack, specially written for Spoken Stories Independence. Enjoy all the commissioned fiction featured on Spoken Stories Independence wherever you get your podcast and on the Spoken Stories RTE website. From me, Cliona Anloon, thank you for listening.